Rich and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Happy Saturday, everybody. This is Arizona Sports Saturday. It's your weekend stop for live and local sports talk. You hear the big voice? I'm Mitch. He's Steve. We've got Trevor Henry behind the glass. Two hours today, live here in the Akchin Community Studio for, I guess technically it's President's Day weekend. Who? I never remember this. Whose birthday is first between Lincoln and Washington? I never remember. I have no idea. That does not matter. Trev, do you happen to know? No, he's already. I have have no clue. Why do we always do this on their birthdays? That wasn't really the most important. Like it should be on the day that they did something significant, other than being. I I don't know. Being born is pretty significant, right? And why does one president's birthday get to represent all of the presidents? It's not one. It's two. They were born on the same day. No, they weren't. That's why they have the day in between. Like are you are you following me here? Or am I, I don't know. Confusing? I feel like they should have picked a different like reference point for that holiday. But as far as I know, the day exists between. Why do the George presidents Washington deserve a holiday? Birthday. I've I've always wondered that. What makes them so special? I mean, we could ask a lot of questions about why do certain people deserve honors on their birthday? You know? Hey, we all get the day off from work, so no, I, uh, I ain't complaining. Well, not everybody. That was okay. Kind of, it does fall in between the birthdays. Okay, when, who's this first? Is it Lincoln or Washington? Lincoln's is first on okay. the 12th. On the 12th. Yeah, Washington is the 22nd. So President's Day this year is actually closer to Washington's birthday. That's interesting. It's really not. Because it's never, it's never a set date. It's just the Monday, right? To my knowledge, the last Monday of February. Okay. Everybody's shrugging. Everybody wants me to stop talking about this, I can tell. Specifically, Steve. So let's talk about <laughs> something else. Arizona Cardinals. Yeah. They have... Their head coach, Jonathan Gannon. He was hired officially on Tuesday. We knew as early as Tuesday morning that he was going to be the head coach. Funny enough, he was the last person interviewed, and he himself had even mentioned in his press conference on Thursday, he didn't know he was interviewing until after the Super Bowl. I thought that was kind of funny. Well, funny or intriguing or head-scratching. Funny has multiple meanings to me, but you listed all of them, basically. Because you and I sat here a week ago... And at the time, what we knew to be a fact was that the Cardinals had two final candidates, and they were Mike Kafka and Lou Anarumo, and neither of them got the job. Which, if you remember correctly, is exactly what I said would happen last Saturday, because it was too obvious that they were waiting for somebody from the Super Bowl. And we heard Tom Pelissero drop that little nugget when he was on with Bickley Murad on Friday, saying they were doing some research on the coaches in the Super Bowl. Yeah, it, hindsight being twenty twenty. It makes all the sense in the world that the Cardinals were waiting on somebody who was a Super Bowl coach. Now, I could make the argument that they picked the wrong coordinator from the Super Bowl. He had four options. Uh, two of them ended up getting jobs, not just Jonathan Gannon, but also his teammate in Philadelphia and Shane Steichen got hired by the Colts the day after the Super Bowl. So I would have made the case for Eric Bieniemy. We're going to make the case for Eric Bieniemy today. But if you remember, I, I basically said, I was like, there's got to be a secret candidate that's not Kafka or Anna Rumo. And the reason that I kind of calculated that, figured that out, was because they had two weeks to hire either one of those guys. If you were going to do it, they would have done it by the time the Super Bowl came around. The only thing I would like to know, and look, there were rules that prevented them from being able to talk with Jonathan Gannon a lot sooner, as we found out. He was only allowed to speak during the week he was on by, and then once his team was in the divisional round, in the championship round, in the Super Bowl, no team was allowed to talk to him. He had a job to do, right? So that's why it took so long. 
But if this is who they knew that they wanted all along, it's, I'm not going to assume that Monty Osmond wanted him all along. I'm not going to assume that Michael Bidwell wanted him all along. But if you knew that you wanted him, why did you wait? Like, if you know who you want, this is just generally speaking, if you know exactly what you want, but it takes you six extra weeks to make that decision, why are you taking so long? Maybe they knew that they wanted Gannon all along, and they knew they would have to wait until after the Super Bowl anyway. So in the meantime, in those four weeks or whatever it was between when they fired Cliff Kingsbury and when they hired Jonathan Gannon— they were like, well, we gotta, we gotta do something. We gotta cast that net far and wide, like Michael Bidwell said. And to their credit, they did that. They interviewed a lot of candidates. And I think the only team that hired or that talked to more people was the Colts. And I kind of had a feeling that the Colts were going to go with Jeff Saturday all along. I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they went with uh, another coordinator from the Super Bowl. Me too. But I think that I heard Ron Wolfley say earlier, earlier this week that Jonathan Gannon was probably the guy they wanted all along. That may be the case. That's certainly always what the team is going to tell you, no matter who they hire is. Well, this was our guy all along, the guy we wanted. But let's be honest about this. Were there other candidates that they interviewed that they would have liked to have been the coach first? Would they have liked to have hired Sean Payton on the spot? Well, we we heard about three two weeks ago. And then one of them decided he didn't want this job. Kafka, Anarumo, Brian and Flores. Brian Flores, who chose to go be a D.C. in Minnesota. Is that why he chose that job? Because he knew he wasn't going to get the job here. Well, and he later came out and said, I had an opportunity in Arizona, and I chose to be the coordinator somewhere more comfortable in Minnesota. You want me to play the cut? Yeah, because then we can talk about what it actually means. There's still some uh, an opportunity with Arizona. Uh, like I said, you know, you, you, you almost you get a gut feeling. I think we've all kind of had those that, um, you know, this was the place for, for me and my family. Um, this was the right opportunity. Um, <laughs> it's funny, I was in church a couple weeks ago as this was all going on. And the pastor's name, uh, Brian Edmonds in, uh, in, in Pittsburgh, he's... He said, "In life, you can. There's instances where you can either have control, or you can have growth, and you can't have both. Um, and that kind of, you know, that 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 hit me pretty pretty good. Um, and uh, I just felt like this was a great opportunity for growth. Hmm. So t- that tells me that the job in Arizona to him meant he would have control. But seeing as how he was a head coach, but he candidate. wouldn't have an opportunity to grow." Interesting. So that's one aspect of that. The very first thing he says is uh, there was an opportunity in Arizona. Does that mean that he was offered the job? Not necessarily. It doesn't. Then he immediately hinted at I had a gut feeling. Right. Which makes you wonder, Okay, is that kind of another look at the organization? Now, granted, when Michael Bidwell was a part of the presser on Thursday, he emphasized that there were other candidates outside of the interview cycle that wanted this job. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. He makes a lot more money than I do. He runs a very important organization. And quite frankly, there are positive aspects to taking on this job. The quarterback's figured out, which is by far one of the most unique things probably about back this from injury. I, I understand that, but yeah. it is figured out for the most part, right? right? You have the most important position on your football team figured out. I don't think the other four teams could have said that. Houston? No. No. Indianapolis? Although they have a high draft pick, we all assume they're going to take their guy. But it's you still don't know. It's still a massive unknown. Sure. Indianapolis? Well, they've been looking for somebody since Andrew Luck, and that's, what, five, six years now? Yeah. Carolina? They just got finished with P.J. PJ Walker, Sam Darnold, traded away or waived Baker Mayfield midseason. 
this one was the, in terms of a quarterback, and Denver had Russell Wilson, but we all saw how that season went last year. This one had the best established quarterback option. I'm not surprised that other candidates outside of the interview cycle would be interested, according to Bidwell. I had heard something interesting about Monty Austin Fort that in anticipation of interviewing for GM jobs down the road, over the last couple of years, he has been attempting to network with coaches he didn't have relationships with. So he was trying to build that potential list down the road of, hey, I might be interested in hiring you if and when I do get a GM job down the road. Lo and behold, he gets an opportunity here in Arizona, and he has to present a list. I mean, all these candidates, whether you're a head coach and you're presenting staff suggestions or you're a GM candidate and you're presenting coaching candidates – And this was the only GM job that was open that had to hire a coach. So it was very important that Bidwell ask Monty Awesome for it. Who do you want as a coach? What are your ideas? Who are you interested in? What do you think you can accomplish? And I'm willing to bet that in that first meeting or when they hired Monty Awesome for it, he came to the table and said, Jonathan Gannon's a guy that I'm really interested in. I may not have worked with him or maybe you have a relationship, uh, but I'd like to grow that. Monty Ford's been working on his networking with other coaches and other organizations for this moment. So I do kind of want to give him a little bit of the benefit of the doubt here. Let me tack on to that then. Yes, it's a brand new GM. Yes, it's a brand new head coach. And yes, eventually it will be a brand new OC and it will eventually be a brand new DC. But this isn't a new head coach like Cliff Kingsbury was a new head coach who had never outside of a couple of years as a quarterback in New England had truly experienced what it was like to be a coach at the NFL level, right? Gannon has been through the ringer in the NFL since about 21 years old, right? 24 years old. Long time. So he's been around for over a decade. Monty Ossenfort has been in player personnel and scouting for over a decade just with one organization, So, yes, they're new to the role, but they are not new to what this league presents itself and offers to itself. I think that this is the kind of shift in momentum you need. You're moving off of a guy who was tied to the organization for the longest time. You went outside to get a new GM. You went outside to get a new head coach and a coach that has experience at the national level. I think those are the three things that they needed to hit on most when they're doing this hire. You're right. The resumes are as impressive as pretty much any other candidates for the jobs. I know that we heard rumors that the Cardinals had offered the GM job to Ian Cunningham from the Bears and that he had supposedly turned it down. Uh, that doesn't mean that Monty Austin Ford is lesser of a candidate or going to do a worse job. It doesn't mean that. Just because I think that the Cardinals should have talked to Eric Bieniemy after the Super Bowl and maybe even offered him the job doesn't mean that that Gannon's going to be a bad coach. It doesn't mean he's going to do a bad job. He could be very successful. Um, so all these things are, are things we're going to have to revisit down the road. I certainly think that who Jonathan Gannon brings in to run this offense is still extremely important. It's an it's an answer to a question that we are it's a, an answer we just don't have yet to a question that we've been asking about the head coach because there's sexier hires there. Sean Payton would have been a sexier hire. In a lot of ways, I think Brian Flores would have been a sexier hire. Uh, there were several other candidates, Frank Reich included, who got a job in Carolina, who I think would have been sexier hires than Jonathan Gannon. And we kind of knew who they might consider to fix Kyler Murray. Payton and Reich would have been the guy themselves. And Brian Flores, I trusted, was going to bring in somebody really good to, to control Kyler Murray as well. I don't know who that person is yet. I have a feeling we're going to find out this coming week. 
And that's going to be very, very imperative to the future of the organization. There's been plenty of names been reported out there about who will be potential for the next DC, the next OC. We've got trackers for you. You can find them on the Arizona Sports app. And on ArizonaSports.com. And we should ask uh, Tyler Drake, our Cardinals insider. He's coming on with us here in a little bit at uh, 1130. We'll get, dive in a little bit to some of the options for the staff moving forward. He's been following them closely. Coming up next, was this the weirdest press conference in Phoenix that we've had ever? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports Saturday. Steve and uh, Mitch here with you. It was one of the more interesting press conferences that I've seen in the Valley. And really less of a press conference and more of a rally, shall we say? I stand here today proud and happy to introduce number 35 for the Phoenix Suns, Kevin Durant. There's still 35 seconds left in this cut. Oh, okay. Tell me the last time that you saw a press conference introducing a player on a team in the Valley. I've And the fans cheered for 45 seconds straight. Oh, my gosh. You didn't edit this, did you? No. Wow. In the Valley? Never. No, no I don't think ever. Never. Most recent in history, I've got a retort for you. Okay. Not two, not three, not four, not five, not six, not seven. Now, granted, that was intentionally done to highlight just the fact that they got all three of them. It was right? drumming up interest. I don't know if it was necessarily a presser. I don't remember all the way back to 2010, unfortunately. No, it's almost what? the same thing. It was what? it was a group of season ticket holders. And you were trying to drum up excitement. And there were reporters there and asking questions and all that? It's basically the same thing. Actually, a really smart idea by Matt Ishbia to do this. I I assume that he can take credit for this. Let's be real. It was probably his idea. I think so. Because it's unlike anything we've seen Can you think about the week that Matt Ishbia has put together as owner of the Phoenix Suns? Let's let's talk about that real quickly. So he got the job. He got the... He got the team. He got the job. <laughs> yeah, I was going with the with wrong, his money. I was going with the wrong expression there. He buys the team. Yes. Later that evening, he gets probably the second best player historically in the league active right now. Yeah, right behind LeBron James and yeah. Kevin Durant. Mm-hmm. A week late or within the same day. You had pointed out that the best thing he did was to reach out to Jerry Colangelo. He reached out to Jerry Colangelo and said, I need you to be my mentor. That was another massive win. That's maybe the biggest thing he did. Then he puts together this press conference. Well, press conference. Press rally. They they had t-shirts out for the fans that were entering the arena to witness this, right? There were lines out the door for this thing. And then I thought they were lining up early for the game. I was like, guys, Kevin Durant's not even playing tonight. No, this was a press conference that people, thousands of people went to. And at the same time, I'm sure this was going to happen regardless of how it turned out. Mama Durant was there. Rich Kleinman, his business partner, was there. Rex Chapman. Ishbia. <laughs> I saw Rex Chapman was there. Ishbia then hosted Mama Durant at the game that evening. Like, think about everything that he has done within a week All right, so of being owner of the Suns. To put this in perspective, too, for those who didn't see it, didn't hear it, obviously you just heard some of it. It's Matt Ishbia 
Kevin Durant and James Jones. They each got a stool at midcourt. They're on the court. Yeah, they put this in the arena. They did it in the arena. And they filled like a quarter, almost maybe half of the arena. Like one side of the arena is completely filled with season ticket holders and partners and just all these people going crazy. Suns fans. And it wasn't really much of a press conference. Matt Ishbia said, hey, I'm Matt Ishbia. Uh, uh, you know, I'm happy to be a part of this team. Go Suns. Basically, all he said. Yeah. Then James Jones takes over and says, hey, guys, really excited about this. Here's Kevin Durant. Everyone goes crazy. That's not even a press conference. That's no. just an introduction. And here's the difference between what happened in 2010 in Miami that you pointed out and what happened the other day for the Suns. The Heat and LeBron James specifically got arrogant. And started doing the not five, not six, not seven. We're going to win like a gajillion championships here in Miami. And how many did they win? They won two. Well, and to their credit, but they made all four. How did Kevin Durant? How did Kevin Durant react to that? Because right after what I just played you, that that cheering for forty five straight seconds. Mm -hmm. What was the first thing Kevin Durant said? I'll play it for you. You got it. Wow, wow! Appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um. I truly don't think I deserve all this because I, I know I've done a lot of good things in basketball, but I haven't done them yet in a Suns jersey, and I'm looking forward to doing it. So um, I want to go out there and do as most as I can and be the best that I can every day for you guys. So I appreciate the warm welcome, but I got more work to do. But at the same time, later on in the presser, he acknowledged the fact that he is one of the best to ever play the game and the oh, greatest man. in the game. Like there is, there's a back and forth of him being humble and him being rather arrogant. Well, but even say. even when he's even when he did say I'm one of the best ever, it was very like it was a very humble brag. I know that's kind of an oxymoron, but here I have, I have it here. Okay. As always, it's pressure because I'm one of the best players to ever play the game. So every time, and everybody goes crazy. I mean, so, like, to your point, yes, he did at one point say, like, yeah, well, there's pressure because I'm really good at basketball. Yeah. But at the same time, he didn't react like, oh, we're going to go win three championships. He didn't do the LeBron. Or or five. I think at the same time, this is not acquiring Kevin Durant at, you know, the peak of his powers, right? He's 35, right? LeBron James had come off of what? Back-to-back MVPs. He was entering the offseason at, what, 24 years old? Like, LeBron James was very much just was getting he to the apex when he went to Miami. I'm, I might be undercutting him a bit, but he was just getting to the apex of his career. Yeah, when he was he, at his peak. Yeah, when he left Cleveland and joined Dwayne Wade and joined Chris Bosh, he was twenty six. So okay, pretty close. Pretty close. But, yeah, he's he's not thirty four year old Kevin Durant. No, he's not thirty six year old Chris Paul, right? So LeBron doing what he did is just the natural reaction to getting the league's best player in free agency and pairing him with two other superstars. This is acquiring one of the best superstars in the current game, albeit he's still very, very good. But he's starting to get to that point in his career where you start to worry just a bit. Going to these guys' basketball reference pages is almost comical. To see that there's a star next to their name in every single season of their career. Kevin Durant only missed one All-Star game since 2009. And that's because he didn't play in 2019 with an Achilles injury. LeBron James has gone to the All-Star game every year since 2003. Every year since he was a rookie. And you know what? He probably should have gone when he was a rookie. Because he's averaged 21 points per game. And six rebounds and four, uh, uh, four of them defensive. You know how the hierarchy is with rookies in the NBA. I know, the, I know. They don't get the full respect they deserve. No, I mean, listen, to go back to Ishbia for a second, 
not only did he acquire the Suns, but he added value to the organization the day that he bought the team. Yep. That's like buying a bunch of stocks and they shoot through the roof 12 hours later. Like he knew that that could happen. He The only way you could add significant value to your team through player acquisition, because let's be honest, adding Terrence Ross is nice. Does that well, he, add any value nice. to the he organization? He was nice on Thursday. He looks pretty darn good. No, no, totally. Great player, good role player. I think he's going to play an important uh, role in this organization. But is that adding significant dollar value to the valuation of the team? Dollar value? No. Does no. Kevin Durant? 100%. Absolutely. They're paying $30 million in luxury tax right now. There's very few players in the entire league that if you traded for them, signed them, acquired them in any way, that they immediately add value to your company, to your organization. Yeah. Ishbia did that 12 hours in. He could have <laughs> sold the team 12 hours after he bought it and made money. Yeah. Think of it that way. Yeah, probably. This guy is brilliant. And then instead of holding a press conference, you know where they usually hold the press conferences? They they have like a like a mini court They're up like in the, the offices. Annex, yeah. Yeah, they have they have their GM like the front office and they bring the media in. There's usually like, you know, 10 to 20 people there or whatever and then they introduce the player or they ask questions. No, Matt Ishbia decides, "You know what? I'm going to do. I'm going to sit mid-court. I'm brand new. The, the the Suns fans maybe don't know me very well. I'm brand new. Kevin Durant is obviously brand new, and people are going to get excited for him. Even James Jones, I know he's kind of like the face of the front office. People he's the don't guy really running see the show. Him all that much. You don't see him. No. And great point made by Kevin Durant is that James Jones has playoff experience, championship experience. He was never the guy carrying the championship. That was usually LeBron, but he won a bunch of championships. He knows what it takes. I think that this week might be the biggest week in Suns history. And that includes the week they brought Barkley in. And and believe me, I've gotten into it this week with a lot of older Suns fans who are very pro the Barkley trade. You're probably going to piss off a lot of people. No, 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 no. And it's a fun argument because I think we can both be right. Okay, but we had the discussion last week. This is the most impactful trade acquisition an Arizona sports team has ever made. Even more than Barkley. Ever. The problem is, is that our perception is warped because Kevin Durant has not played yet. We don't know the result of this right. season yet. We don't. And Barkley immediately won MVP and took them to the NBA Finals for the second time in their franchise history in his first year in the purple and orange. When are we going to? That's s- the perception screw up here. When are we going to see Durant on the court? Well, I'll tell you what, when then we'll go to break. ESPN thinks that he's going to be back on Friday. Why do I say ESPN? Uh, because the Suns OKC game that is next Friday at Footprint Center yeah. got moved back to 8 p.m. and is now on national television. Ah, so they have a feeling. Mm-hmm. Well, we did hear that he hoped to come back after the All-Star game, yeah, so that makes sense. They're both being mum on the deal. James Jones and Kevin Durant, I mean, both being mum. But, look, ESPN has never been wrong before. It was like when <laughs> never, 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 ever, never, ever. I don't say that with any, any sarcasm whatsoever. All right. Coming up next, the Arizona Cardinals have their head man, but they've still got a lot of work to do putting together that coaching staff. What do we need to know? We'll ask our Cardinals insider Tyler Drake next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch Varelis, Steve Zinsmeister, Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. We're going to be adaptable, we're going to be violent, we're going to be explosive, and we're going to be smart. And all three phases go into that. 
and we will maximize the talents of the players that we have, and that's how we're going to win games. And don't get it twisted, we're going to win games. Those were opening remarks from the newest Arizona Cardinals head coach, Jonathan Gannon, on Thursday. We're back here on Arizona Sports Saturday, Mitch and Steve, as we now bring in our Arizona Cardinals beat writer, who was sitting... I don't know if it was front row, but he was sitting pretty darn close to where Jonathan Gannon was sitting at his presser Thursday. He is Tyler Drake, and he joins us here on the Arizona Sports Line. What was the view like on Thursday, Ty? What was your perception from everything that Jonathan Gannon had to say on Thursday? Well, thanks for having me on, guys. And, yeah, second row, not first row. First oh, row was, so for the, uh, was for the family and the players, but I but, uh, got the next best seat. So, <laughs> yeah, you know, for, uh, for from my standpoint, I can say one thing, confidence was there. And I think that's a big one for just flipping the switch on what we saw the last year and turning it around, giving a first-year head coach the reins. And even though it's, this is his first time in this role, he really, you know, conveyed himself well really, uh, I thought, commanded the room of just what he wanted to get out, and he he didn't shy away from questions. He actually answered some probably more than he probably needed to, so I thought that was a, a step in the right direction for sure. I mean, introductory press conferences, you can't really – I don't think you can't really do too badly, but you, there's, there's certainly a way where you can leave people wanting more, and I think he definitely delivered on that part. I thought it was cool that Kyler Murray and some of his teammates showed up, too, for the press conference. We saw the video on the Cardinals' Twitter account of uh, Coach being told, hey, Kyler's in the locker room. Oh, cool, I want to go meet that guy. Um, hopefully their relationship is starting to form now at this point. I think the question that a lot of people are asking, though, Ty, is uh, because Jonathan Gannon is a defensive-minded head coach, defensive coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles before, who is going to be the guy that he's going to bring in to run this offense? So what are some of the candidates possibly for offensive coordinator? Yeah, there's a couple guys. Uh, Drew Petsing is one of them. Uh, Cleveland Browns quarterback coach. We got uh, Drew Terrell, who's actually a local from uh, Mesa, I believe. And uh, yeah, there's uh, Joel Thomas as well. And then Troy Walters, uh, actually former Cardinal. So there's a couple guys, you know, none, uh, all of them are either wide receivers, coaches, running backs, coaches, quarterbacks, coaches. So, you can definitely see maybe that up-and-comer type role. I really like Drew Petsing from my own kind of research. I think it's just his kind of trajectory is there. I think if you look at what Jacoby Brissett did in Cleveland, that was a that was a really big positive for him. I think if he could have got a full season, it would have been one of his better seasons. So, you know, if you can mold a guy like that, why couldn't you come in here and, and help get Kyler Murray back on track or at least get whoever's going to be taking the reins over while, while he's still getting rehabbed you know, get them to the next level. So I'm really interested to see what they do with him. And also they work together. They, uh, you know, they worked in Minnesota for a couple of years, him and uh, Gannon. So there's also some connection there. So as a first year guy, first time head coach, you want to bring in somebody that, you know, somebody that's going to share your vision. And I think that's, that fits right in line. Do any of them have play calling experience? Because that's increasingly difficult to find in a coordinator candidate. Now that a lot of head coaches around the league they do it themselves. Like when Bruce Arians was here, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, it's hard to find coordinator candidates that call plays. Do any of these guys have that experience? You know, from what I've seen, I don't believe so. Maybe here and there, but I don't think it was a, uh, you know, we're going to hand you the reins and you take it over. So there might have been some instances, but for the most part, I think they were they were pretty much locked and just, you know, working with their position groups. 
Tyler Drake, our Arizona Cardinals lead writer for ArizonaSports.com, joining us here on Arizona Sports Saturday. Ty, I'm, I'm sure it was understood by many, but the decision to let Vance Joseph go, the decision to let Sean Jefferson go, and I'm sure they won't be the last former Cardinals coaches to uh, not be retained, I should say. What did you think of the decision, and do you think it was the right decision to let both of them go? Well, you know, I think both of those two guys, you know, hats off to them. I thought they did good jobs in their positions. Uh, I thought Sean Jefferson really was a leader of men for what he needed to do, and and I think we saw that in Hard Knocks. Vance Joseph, same thing. Uh, you know, they were great. You know, talking with the media, they they gave us you know information that we could really use to our benefit. So that was awesome from that standpoint. But overall, I thought they did a good job, and I think both of them will land on their feet somewhere. Uh, I, where that is, I'm not sure. But also, you got to to look at it. If they want to go to clean slate, let it be a clean slate. And I think that's kind of the the method right now. I think Jonathan Gannon, this is his team. Let it, let him build it with people he knows, people he wants around, people who share the vision. Uh, you know, he hadn't met Vance until I think right after our press conference, so he didn't really know Vance. And, the, and clearly, it appeared that their vision probably didn't mesh exactly how Gannon would have liked. So that leads to the reported release. But, yeah, it's a clean slate. I think you've got to take it as a clean slate. I don't think this will be the last, like you said, the last Cardinals coach to get let go. So it'll just be kind of a wait and see of who's going and who's coming back in to fill those spots. We're talking with our Cardinals insider, Tyler Drake. He's from ArizonaSports.com. Let's talk about the defensive side then with Vance gone. Obviously, you have a defensive-minded head coach in Jonathan Gannon. So who you hire for the defensive coordinator doesn't, I shouldn't say it doesn't matter as much, but let's be honest, they won't be in charge of the defense. I would think Gannon would be. So who are some options to fill that void? Yeah, yeah. The two names that I've got right now are Covington, Demarcus Covington from New England, defensive line coach, and then Chicago Bears linebackers coach Dave Berganzi, which uh, interesting little tidbit is Berganzi and uh, Petsing actually worked together, I believe, at Harvard back in the day. So little connection there. Uh, Berganzi and Gannon actually, I believe, worked together in Indy. So there's some connection there. So, I mean, really – if you need everybody on the same page, those would be the three guys. I mean, they could link those three guys up right there, and, and I think they would kind of hit the ground running. Obviously, you've got to go through everything of building the team and what you want out of everybody, but that kind of screams like, hey, that's those are pretty big prospects to land those uh, coordinator jobs. There's only so much that you can really gather. I'm not sure if you got a chance to you know, pass by conversation with him when he was there, but... Kyler Murray has been here the whole week rehabbing, was at the press conference on Thursday. Do you gather that he's excited about his new head coach? Yeah, I think he is. I think the fact that he was among the guys that came out and watched him. And here's the other thing. There's a lot of offensive guys more than defensive guys. So Hmm. I think it was, one, what what is he bringing to the table? And two, hey, let's go back our guy. And I think that's what you wanted your franchise quarterback. Obviously, you know, there's a lot of flack of, where is he rehabbing? Is he in Arizona? Isn't he Dallas? But I mean, he was here, here for Super Bowl week. I, there's a couple instances where he was out at events and things like that. So it's, I think for everybody that gives him a lot of flack, it was definitely something that they didn't want to see, but it was a good move from him and it was a good move for the organization to see him in the front row. And, and not only that, you know, he was talking to the family a little bit and it wasn't just like, Hey, I've got to be here. He actually, you could tell that he wanted to be there and, and see his head coach, you know, take the leap. 
All right. I want to ask you about the draft because that's outside of the coaching staff and putting that together. That's probably the next big thing on Jonathan Gannon and Monty, Monty Austin Ford's plate. You've been tracking all of the mock drafts that have been going up at all the places. I want to center it on the two guys that have been linked the most. Who do you think would be the better fit for the Cardinals between Alabama's Will Anderson and Georgia's Jalen Carter? Who do you like better? Ooh. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think at this point you can't really go wrong with either. Uh, but I would say Jalen is probably my 1A and then Anderson's uh, 1B. I think just having that guy to disrupt the interior would be crazy, crazy good and crazy impactful for this team that, you know, needs needs a little jolt there. And obviously I think whatever they decide is going to come down to what they decide with Zach Allen because if they can bring Zach Allen back, get a guy like that in the middle, that's, that's going to be a really scary tandem. And it makes the J.J. Watt, you know, whole kind of – not not completely filled, but at least there's, you know, a pathway out of it. So I think they can't go wrong with either. I think uh, Carter would be huge just because the dude seems like he could come in day one and really impact the game. My last one for Tyler Drake, our Cardinals insider at ArizonaSports.com. It took roughly a month to hire the head coach. That whole process took maybe a little longer than some fans expected. Do you think that's because Jonathan Gannon was the guy they wanted all along and they were waiting for the Super Bowl to end? Or do you think that the Arizona Cardinals were forced to settle after several other candidates said no? You know, I, it's, and this is going to sound like a cop-out answer, but I think it could be a little bit of both. I think it could have been, hey, they might have had their sights set on a couple guys, but at the same time, Monty did have, you know, from what he told us, had Gannon's name circled from before he was even the GM. So I think there was some interest to begin with, but I also do think it was kind of, hey, we've got to wait for this guy to really be available because of the, the when he got, when Austin Ford got hired and, and so on. So, yeah, you know, that's, that's, the, that's kind of the tough question right now. I think it was a little bit of both because it sounded like Dan Quinn could have been the guy. It sounded like maybe Brian Flores could have been the guy. Sounded like maybe even Sean Payton could have been the guy, but at the end of the day, it's Jonathan Gannon. And with what we've heard since then, it, you know, it sounds like he was among those candidates. It just wasn't really the reported guy until, you know, the day of the Super Bowl. And then from there, it was boom, boom, boom. So how they got it done so quickly kind of shows that, hey, it was Gannon for a while. But at the same time, I mean, I feel like you don't go through 10, 11 candidates without, you know, maybe having an idea of, hey, let's go with this guy or this guy. Tyler, as always, thanks so much. Enjoy your holiday weekend, okay? No problem. Thanks, guys. That's Tyler Drake, our Arizona Cardinals lead writer, insider. We'll, we'll give him whatever title we think fits him best. I don't know. I, I've been using both. I don't know about you. I think a lot of people forget in a hiring process for a coach, too. It's a lot like free agency, right? Not every team can get their guy, the one person that they want. Not everybody can get the quarterback they want. So you have to figure out a plan B. Not everybody can get a head coach that they want. So you got to come up with a plan B and a plan C. And so I think to Tyler's point, I mean, maybe some of those other guys were plan A. And when it didn't work out, when Dan Quinn said, I'm comfortable in Dallas. And when Brian Flores said, I think I'm going to go to Minnesota. And Sean Payton said, I think Denver's my opportunity. Maybe Gannon was plan B or C or even further down the list, but always kind of in the back of their mind is he'll be available after the Super Bowl. Hey, maybe that's not the worst thing. No. Who knows? It might actually work out for them. Coming up next, so the Phoenix Suns have two future Hall of Famers on their roster. Is another one on the way? Another one? Yeah, that's next on Arizona Sports Saturday. Mitch and Steve on Arizona Sports Saturday. Arizona Sports.
sports leader. Phoenix Suns just added another Hall of Famer to their lineup. Kevin Durant, in case you didn't hear. In case you've been living under a rock. Who? That makes it Chris Paul, maybe one of the greatest point guards to ever play the game. Kevin Durant, certainly one of the best forwards to ever play the game. Both are first ballot, in my opinion. Maybe the greatest scorer. Of all time. I know other guys have like scored more points over the long time. Durant? Oh. Career, but he's, he's easily one of the best at it. Yes. Easily. Devin Booker, still a lot remains in his career. He's I, 26. I don't want to rush him. I don't want to jump the gun and say he's going to be a Hall of Famer. He's certainly not a shoo-in at this point. Uh, but all things considered, he's one of the greatest Phoenix Suns of all time. So that yes. should be enough for us. Yes. Could the Suns be adding another potential future Hall of Famer? This week? Now, I want to stop you right there because I know who we're about to talk about. Some people don't, but you and I both know. This is a very subjective future Hall of Famer tag we're slapping here on this gentleman. Okay. There's an argument to be made, though. This is a very subjective opinion, but for the benefit of the doubt, I, I can say Hall of Famer just based off of how people vote. But who are we talking about, Steve? Kevin Love. He's being bought out by the Cleveland Cavaliers. By the way, Kevin Love has had such a roller coaster of a uh, narrative over the course of his career. I remember two different versions of Kevin Love. There was Minnesota Kevin Love, where he was going for 20 and 15 a night, 20 points, 15 rebounds easily. Some nights 20 and 20 in Minnesota because he was around the basket at all times. He was the most dominant rebounder at the power forward position that maybe we've ever seen like in the in the New era of the NBA. And then there's Cleveland Kevin Love, where Mm -hmm. he clearly was the third best player on that LeBron championship team in, what was that, 2016, roughly? That's how I remember him, yeah. And he was more of a perimeter shooter, still grabbing some rebounds. He was never really a great defender. Kevin Love now has just kind of... Out the Cavs have just kind of outgrown him. I guess it's like an old pair of shoes. Where See, like it was even, nice to have you, but I don't even know this. I don't understand this decision. Really? Look, this is also coming from someone who doesn't pay deep enough attention to Cleveland Cavaliers basketball. But I understand that Kevin Love was an integral piece of you know the revival, really, of the Cavs. Of course, a lot of credit should go to Darius Garland. A lot of credit should go to Donovan Mitchell in acquiring him in the trade this year. And a lot of credit needs to go to their drafting ability, not only in Garland, but hitting Evan Mobley. And then the trade when James Harden went from the Rockets to the Nets and they were able to get Jarrett Allen. Like, they got a good foursome in their starting lineup. And Kevin Love was that, for the for the longest while, he was their sixth man off the bench. He could score threes. He could help space out the floor. He'd, do, he'd be doing all the stuff that Kevin Love did when he arrived in Cleveland in the first place. I don't know what happened to him. When did he all of a sudden fall out of the rotation and now fall off the team? Like, well, I don't his, even know. His per-game stats definitely dropped off in the last couple of years. If you look at his per-36 minutes stats, last season was actually still really good. 22 points per 36 minutes is really good. His three-point shooting percentage was 39 last season. This season, it's down a bit. I mean, he's shooting 35% from deep. He's older. And that is something that he does. He's 34 years old. He's, he's scoring about 15 points per 36. So... It's just the scoring has gone down, and quite frankly, that's what he was good at. The rebounding numbers, he's still getting 12 rebounds per 36. That's pretty much on par with the rest of his career. So this is still a valuable player. Uh, I think that certainly in Cleveland, they felt that they had more athleticism. They had youth. They had guys with more energy. 
and they're playing faster. And Kevin Love just didn't fit that anymore. It just feels weird for a contender to all of a sudden say, yep, bye. Like, I get it. The purpose of the buyout market has never been for contenders to cut players. Not in reality. I mean, the, the teams that buy out players is, one, because the contract is absurd, and two, because it gives them an opportunity to go to a contender. Like, the whole contract absurdity thing is that they were never going to be able to get traded because no team is going to take on the current contract they're on. So that team buys them out, makes them available to a contender as a as a parting gift, right? Like, the Suns got Terrence Ross. Orlando's not necessarily going anywhere. They've played well the last couple of months, but they're not they're not competing for a spot right now. For Cleveland, they are firmly in the top six. And Kevin Love, until about a month ago, was a big part of their rotational team. Is there a chance that Kevin Love is going through something that we saw with Jay Crowder here in Phoenix? Where I, I don't know his role that. diminished, was told, hey, you're probably not going to play as much. I mean, I'm just looking at the last couple of games. It's not like Kevin Love was playing all that much. He's right. playing 12 minutes here, 18 minutes, 20 minutes. I mean, the most minutes he's played in a game recently is 20. And that's not that much. Did he go to management and say, hey, I, I think I could have a bigger role on another team. I really don't want to be here anymore if I'm not going to be relied upon to do my thing. I'm still feeling good. I still got a lot to give this game. I'm 34. I have one last chance at a big contract. Let me go prove it somewhere where I can have more significant of a role. The question now is, is that Phoenix? Well, and my we, answer is probably not. Well, we wouldn't be talking about it unless somebody else had been talking about it first, a.k.a. Brian Windhorst on ESPN earlier this week. A team in the Western Conference, though, that I'd keep an eye out for, the Phoenix Suns. Mm. The Suns have been doing some background research into Kevin over the last 24 hours. And don't forget, James Jones, the team president, was teammates with Kevin Love when they won the championship in 2016 with the Cavs. The new-look Suns have a roster spot, have a bunch of money they can still pay to free agents. So keep an eye on the Suns as a contender for Kevin Love. Now, here's the... Here's the sticking point is the Suns are not the favorite based off of even Brian Windhorse's own reporting. Okay. The favorite right now is the Miami Heat. The problem is the thing about buyouts is there's some sort of underlying agreement that, hey, we're not going to buy you out and then let you go to a competitor. The Miami Heat are a top six team, top eight team as well. They're trying to get back into the playoffs as well. Are the Cavaliers really just going to buy out Kevin Love so that he can just go compete with another Eastern Conference rival? I highly doubt it. Well, if you're Woes not, also mentions the 76ers as another option. They're ahead of East. the Cavaliers right now. That's it a good almost, point. It almost makes the Suns the most logical option in terms of what Cleveland would want to come out of this. It's like uh, you and I talked about before the Jay Crowder situation got resolved with the Kevin Durant trade. I had suggested to you, maybe you don't buy out Jay Crowder, because we talked about what if they couldn't find a deal for Crowder. Mm -hmm. And you said, let's just buy him out. And I said, what if you don't? Because you don't want him going to a Dallas or uh, a Denver or another organization in the Western Conference that could potentially keep you from reaching the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. It's the same argument here with Kevin Love. So I totally understand your point. Why buy out the guy if he's just going to go to another Eastern Conference team? I don't know what the rules stipulate that they could do to keep him from doing that. If you buy him out, I think he can just go wherever he wants. Well, there's there's part the partial agreement is that, okay, but we're doing this as a favor, so you can't just go to this team. Right. It's kind of like a handshake That's agreement. That's part of the holdup. We know how those hold up in the NBA. Now, here's the question I will follow up with. Would you rather have Kevin Love or Ish Wainwright? 
Ish Wainwright is out of eligible two-way games on his out of out of eligible NBA games on his two-way deal. So he would have to be converted to a full-time roster participant. If it's just about the player and the talent level and the experience, it's Kevin Love. If it's about team fit, how long they've been here. The other thing you got to consider is are you really going to keep adding new players to a team that this team hasn't really played all together this season? Or how about this? Do you need another big man? Or do you need someone like a Goran Dragic might get bought out by the Bulls? Ooh. That's this, another interesting one. This I one's a reach, about. but Russell Westbrook is probably going to get bought no, out in Utah. No, 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 no. I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. First of all, you just traded for Kevin Durant, and Kevin Durant hates Russell Westbrook. What about Westbrook. a 15 foot pole? No, no, I'm not touching. I'm not touching Russell I'm just Westbrook. Putting at it all. out there because there's the likelihood. That's I all. I appreciate you putting it out there because it is going to be a name that's going to be talked about. It's going to piss off a lot of people. It's but. Not one that I want on the Suns. Kevin Love, I think, has an argument, especially because in the trade for Kevin Durant, what did you give up? You gave up Bridges, you gave up Johnson, and Jay Crowder. That's three wing players, two of which were playing power forward. Kevin Love is a more traditional style power forward than they are. He certainly couldn't play like the quote-unquote wing all the time, but he's a lot like Cam Johnson, except better at rebounding. Uh, he's a pretty good shooter from the outside, although those percentages don't show it as much this season as they did last. I think Kevin Love would be a good fit here. In place of Ish Wainwright, I have a really deep appreciation for what Ish brings. Tons of energy. I think he was a lone bright spot on the deep part of the bench in the playoffs last season. I think Kevin Love could be a fit here. If money's not an object, with which with Matt Ishbia, it seems like it's not, I'm all for it. Give it a try. Coming up next, he was out there, he was available, and he didn't get an interview. Why? That's next on Arizona Sports Saturday.